we are going to read the, uh, from Colossians. I just want to preach on uh, a couple of verses here. So I'm going to just read verses 24 to 27 of, of Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Colossians 1, 24 to 27. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what was still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but which is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Well, there have been moments in uh, history when a profound discovery has changed the course of history. You know, the first written languages, uh, the use of particular metals, the Copernican, Copernican model of the solar system, uh, the Enlightenment, uh, the discovery of electricity, or penicillin, or the atom, or DNA more recently, uh, the, these new things that have been discovered or understood or begun are so profound that it kind of opens up really a whole new era of our history. Well, in Colossians 1 verse 26, the Apostle Paul speaks of an event just like that, which he describes as a great mystery that was once hidden, but it has now been made known. Uh, this mystery, Paul says, was hidden from ages and generations past, but it has now become clear in all its glory, and it is the most in the, it's become clear in the most world-changing way. This particular thing Paul's talking about is something that God himself has revealed to us, because it's something God has actually done himself in our history. And he says there in verse 27 that this, this great mystery that's now been revealed is Jesus Christ. So to our list of, you know, world-changing events in, in history, we can add the coming of Jesus. In fact, for Christians, for us, the, the Christ event, Jesus coming to the world, is the biggest, the most important, most world-changing thing that there has ever been. Nothing is the same because of Jesus. And I hope, hope we appreciate that, actually, when we say that we are followers of Jesus, that what, one thing we're saying is that, the one we follow is, is the most world-changing person and event and thing that the world has ever known. Now, for a very long time, the ancient Israelites had been expecting something like this. Uh, so their prophets and their poets wrote about it in the Old Testament. Sometimes they would even use this same word mystery that, that Paul now uses. Uh, the idea was that things that are now hidden would one day be revealed, they said. And in many of the Old Testament passages, it was all associated with the arrival of the Messiah or the Christ and the new age that this individual would bring. Uh, the, word, the word Messiah in Hebrew or Christ in Greek means simply means God's anointed one. God was going to send a king. Uh, see, God had promised many, many great things for the future, but it would only become fully clear and fully real when the Messiah came because he was going to do it all and the old testament prophets said it would be like a light suddenly suddenly being turned on in the darkness or it would be like night 
turning into day at last, or like waters, they said, suddenly just pouring into the deserts, or it would be like waking up from a sleep, or like a shroud, one of them said, like a shroud that suddenly pulled away and removed from the earth to reveal what is real. When the, the idea in the Old Testament was that when the Messiah comes, the whole world is going to turn a kind of massive corner into a new future. And Paul is now saying in Colossians 1 that that mystery has now been revealed. God's word and promise has now been fulfilled because the Messiah, the Christ, has now come. And it's the one they call Jesus of Nazareth, the one who lived, was crucified, and then rose again. Now, notice, therefore, that the, the great earth-shattering, world-changing, history-shaping thing that God did is a person. It is Jesus. He, Paul says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we must re remember that. It is not, you know, the great thing that's changed everything. It's not a nation or a regime or a system or an idea or a timetable of events or a type of religion even. It is a person. It is Jesus. It is not something else besides Jesus. There is not some extra mystery that's coming from God besides Jesus. Well, you know, yes, of course, we wonder about lots of things in life and we ponder and hope for lots of things. But at the end of the day, Paul is saying all that matters really is that Jesus is the Christ and that he can be in you, Paul says. He can be in our lives both individually, but also collectively, he means. He's writing to a church in this letter. Christ in you, individually, and also together as his people. That is, Paul is saying, that's what makes everything new. That is what changes the world. That is what changes us, Jesus in our life. And part of the wonder of this for, for Paul, Paul himself was a Jewish man, but part of the wonder of what God had now done was that he could say Christ in you to the people living in Colossae, a non-Jewish people. The Messiah, Jesus, in other words, had come for everyone. Now, that was so unexpected for many people back then, uh, that God had lit this new light that the prophets, the Jewish prophets spoke of. He had ushered in this new day, he had poured out his living waters, he had pulled away that shroud, to reveal the good news, not just for Israel, but for all nations. So Paul says, Christ in you, you Colossians too, for all of you, any of you, Christ has come. Verse 26 and 27, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles as well. In other words, he's saying among all the nations, He's revealed, God has revealed this great mystery, the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As I say, many people in the first century would have realized how revolutionary that was, that all nations alike, all people alike, Jew and Gentile, who were, you know, we're so often at odds with each other, aren't we, as groups of people and nations and, and ethnicities. But Paul says, look, all of us are being offered the same great unveiled mystery from God, which is Jesus for you. The God is saying that, that Christ in you, the hope of glory, no matter who you are or where you are from, God is saying, my son is given for you. 
And that was indeed like a bright light that was suddenly blazing out across the world. It undermines any sectarianism or exclusion or superiority, nations claiming God as their own special God, people looking down on other peoples, religion being used as a tool to say God's for us, not for you. It, the gospel undermines all of that thinking. Paul says, I'm a steward of something far better, something that brings glory and hope to everyone. Uh, in Ephesians 2 and 3, another letter that Paul wrote, he uses the same phrase mystery in that letter as well. And in Ephesians 3 verse 6, he says this. This mystery, he says, is that through the, the good news, the nations are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's important that we remember this today because many religions either are inherently or they become ethnic religions. Uh, you know, what I mean is their religions can become associated with a particular ethnic group. And therefore, many people in the world we, we, we speak to today will think of religion automatically like that, particularly if they've grown up in in a, in a culture or religion that is ethnic in its, in its nature. We have to remember, therefore, that Christianity was never meant to be that. And it mustn't become it either. Part of the celebration of the New Testament is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an ethnic religion because Christ is Christ for all people, for all nations, all ethnicities, no matter who they are uh, or where they are. Now, this is why I'm not too keen on the phrase a Christian nation. I, I know what we mean by that. You know, don't get me wrong. I do understand what we mean by it, but we've got to be very careful if we start talking in those terms that we don't give the wrong impression to people that Christianity is identified with a particular people or place or nation. As I say, particularly in a world where lots of people will have grown up assuming that about religions, that they are ethnic. Christianity is not. Paul says one of the glories of Jesus is that he is Christ for all people. Whoever and wherever you are, the hope is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We could extend that, by the way, and also say that Christ doesn't belong to any particular denomination or type of church either. You know, I, I you spend time with lots of different Christians from different types of church or denomination, and I can honestly say I can, I've seen Christ at work in all different types of church. And it just reminds me always of just, you know, God's heart is so big. God is able to speak through so many different traditions within the church. And, and we sometimes we find him in the places we least expect. Because Jesus has just got that such, such a broad heart, I think, towards people. He's not the exclusive property of any of us because he is the Christ who gave his life for all the world. It really goes back, I think, to earlier in chapter one. Do you remember in, in sort of verses 15 to 20, Paul made a point there of saying, look, in Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself, in heaven and on earth, everything. God's, God's mission is that. You know, not just let's save a little bit or that part or that place. God wants to reconcile everything to himself through Jesus. Now, 
If this is who Jesus is, if Jesus is the Christ, that basically means he's God's anointed king over our life and our world, then we are being invited to bring ourselves, our own lives, under Jesus's reign. So who's in charge of life? Who's the one who I listen to, uh, to speak to me about who I am and where I go and what I do and how I should think? Well, if Jesus is the Christ for me, it means I believe Jesus is that one in my life, okay? So that's what it means to say Jesus is the Christ. He's kind of the one on the throne for me in my life. Now, I, you and I know that we don't always listen like we should to the king. Uh, we don't always understand properly at first. You know, it's a real journey with Jesus like it was for the disciples in the Gospels. But following Jesus as the Christ means we'll keep listening and we'll keep praying and keep striving together to follow Jesus. Now, Paul says when we do that, when, when Jesus is the Christ in my life, he becomes, Jesus becomes deeply present in us and among us as a people. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, of course, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth lived as a real person in a real place at a real time in history. So Jesus was born as a, as a human being on a certain day. He lived and grew up in a certain place. He was crucified eventually on a certain cross buried in a particular tomb out of which he then rose to life and, and then he ascended to glory. So Jesus was and is a real person, fully God, we believe, but also fully human. And yet, after Jesus had risen from the dead, we see in the New Testament that his followers very soon began to realize that Jesus was still able to be present in the lives of actually all his people throughout the world all the time. And now Jesus actually had told the disciples that this was going to happen. He said things like this in the Gospels. I will not leave you like orphans. I will come to you. And he said, my father will love you and we will come to you and make our home with you. Uh, Jesus, of course, poured out his spirit so that Christians later on in the New Testament said things like this. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to us. Or they could say, we have the spirit of Christ. Or Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, Jesus is now still present. He may have risen and ascended, returned to, to the Father. But I, I like how the book of Acts begins. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but uh, the book of Acts begins with, with the author saying, all the stuff Jesus did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension uh, Acts chapter 1 says that's, that's what Jesus began to do. <laughs> In other words, the book of Acts is saying, look, it didn't stop there. That was just the beginning of what Jesus now is still doing in the world through his people. Paul uses, in Colossians here, uses the word glory, the hope of glory. Uh, the word glory in the Bible is always about God's presence. And now Paul says that that glory, that presence of God is in you because Christ is in you. So as we bring our lives to Jesus, both as individuals, but I think also as a church, as we bring our, our connected life to Jesus, uh, God becomes part of our lives in very real ways. Now that's a bit scary. 
it, it, well, it would be completely scary if it wasn't the fact that we now know what God is like because of Jesus. And he's really good. He is a wonderful God. So it, it's also the fact that Christ is in us, God's presence is with us, is also the most life-giving, exciting thing imaginable to know that Christ is in you. That God is re was revealed to us in Jesus and he is, he is really keen, he wants to be in our lives, to be part of, of, of who we are and who we're becoming as communities. I like what Maureen shared. You know, the, the, it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about how God loves us, but he likes us. He actually wants to, to be part of our lives. I thought that was really helpful. We trust ourselves to God in this way, and God will come to, to be part of our life and to work in us and also through us in the world. Now, one thing that that means, I just want to close with this. If that is true, that when we bring our lives to God, Christ is, is in us to work with us and through us, then the church can be the presence of Jesus in this world. That is what the church, of course, is meant to be. It's, and that is what brings hope to the world, ultimately, that through Jesus, the life of God is breaking through into things around us. I love that picture, this idea that, you know, in everything we see, uh, the life of God, it just begins breaking through, maybe in quite simple ways, but it all adds up to something so big as through, through us, God works in our communities, in our families, in our own life. It is the life of God, Christ in you, breaking through. You know, it's like the prophet said, the darkness is still being turned into light. The desert is still being filled with water. Uh, the shroud, the things that are so covered become unveiled with the glory of God. And that's going on in our life and our world today. It means that wherever we are placed as churches and wherever we go as Christians, we are taking Jesus with us. Christ is in you the hope of glory, that should bring hope to those that we meet. Now that's a challenge. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are we as a church and are we as Christians, wherever we are, wherever we go, is Christ in us bringing the hope of glory to those that we meet? Because if that's happening, amazing things will happen. This is the, the most powerful, wonderful thing in the history of the world, that Jesus Christ is Lord. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3, Paul puts it like this. He said, whenever anyone turns to Jesus, it's like a veil has been taken away. And then he says, with unveiled faces, we then reflect the Lord's glory. Now, God is happy to be part of your life, to help you through the things you need to work through, but also to then use you to work through us to bring his glory to this world we live in, to Somerset, to Fivehead. The light still shines in the darkness today. The waters are still appearing in the desert. Hope is still springing up where there is despair. Life is still found among the dead because the mystery of God has been made known. And it is this, Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is Lord of history.
Sometimes, Lord, things happen, things are happening that we look at and we wonder what is going on. But help us just today with, with the Apostle Paul to kind of take a step back and take in the whole vista of the history of this world and to realize that what the prophets said would happen, the hope that they, they spoke of, has now been fulfilled on an actual day in history when Jesus was born. Help us to stand back from history today and remember that that Jesus, your son in flesh, lived and spoke and then died for sins on the cross and then rose again from a tomb and ascended and gave his spirit. Help us to remember that that happened and that that is the turning point above any turning point. That is the turning point of history. And therefore, we can look out today on our world and there may be many things that worry us or concern us. But with that grand view, let's remember, Lord, remind us that Jesus is Lord and that nothing changes that. And then take us as a church, Lord, out into our community as people who are Christ in you, the hope of glory. We pray that Jesus will keep shaping us more and more into his likeness. We pray that Christ will keep helping us with our own struggles in our own lives, but also taking us to help others in their lives too. Lord, help us to see that by giving our lives to Jesus, we are part of the greatest story, the greatest reality, the greatest thing that this world has ever known. Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.